Now through June 29th, you can earn up to four times rewards points on your favorite products throughout the store at Safeway. Shop for items like Coca-Cola products, Deer Park Natural Spring Water, Dannon Light and Fit Yogurt, Mott's Original Applesauce, Heinz Ketchup, and McCormick Spices. And earn up to four times bonus reward points to use for discounts on gas or groceries. Visit Safeway.com or download the Safeway For You app to earn your reward points today. Offer valid through June 29th. See store for more details. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to episode two of Beyond Baseball. I'm here again, as always, with Dr. Caleb Mezzi. Um, we have a great interview for all of you today. But first, Caleb, how are you doing? I'm great. I'm really excited about our guest. Yeah, it was an awesome interview. And uh, usually we were going to have some topics that we were going to talk about prior to our interviews, but this was a long one full of a lot of important information. So we just kind of want to give you some highlights about what we thought about the interview. I was just really impressed about his positive attitude every single time that he had a moment of adversity or a moment of transition. He was always able to keep his mind in a positive place and also wasn't afraid to reach out to help people. And so those were some of the things that stood out to me. But Caleb, what what are some of the things that you really enjoyed about that interview? Yeah, very uh, similar. You'll hear some of the themes that we talk about throughout the podcast. But I think perspective comes to mind when we talk about Hilton and really just him looking back on his crazy career. Um, I, you know, I jokingly said that it was very symbolic to many documentaries and Disney movies we've seen. Um, you guys will hear that. I won't spoil those. Um, but I think for him, it was just so cool to see that he never, you know, lacked a curiosity or a thirst for learning in every step that he took. He said, you know, there's something to be taught here, something that I can experience. And he had the self-confidence to, to go forward with all of that. Um, where a lot of these trials and tribulations that he went through could have, you know, hurt his self-confidence or, or made him question his own self-esteem and his talents. He did not do that. And we'll see that in different parts of his life as, you know, he finished his degree. He explored hobbies such as, you know, building tables and, you know, exploring wood and what that really could do for his home life. Um, yeah. so I think just learning about him as a person and then seeing, like you said, the positivity that he continues to do as a scout now with, um, with players that he's, you know, finding for the Philadelphia Phillies. Yeah. And I think you think about all the, as human beings, when we try to go through change, it's hard. And the, all the amount of change that he had to go through in his entire life. And he just kept going, kept going the course and trying to find what he loved. And I think that will stick out to a lot of people. Um, but we don't want to hold anybody up too much. Uh, we'll get turned over to that interview right now. And I uh, hope you all enjoy. Here again for another great interview of Beyond Baseball. We are lucky enough to have Hilton Richardson, a former prospect with the Kansas City Royals, Atlanta Braves, Boise State football player, and now area scout with the Philadelphia Phillies. Hilton, how are you doing today? Doing fantastic. Yeah, doing well. I'm down here in uh, actually my second area uh, as a scout. I'm down here in the four corners, and it's uh, starting to heat up for sure. We just had a big, huge storm last night, but uh, we're doing good. Awesome. Awesome. Well, well, thanks for joining us. We're glad to have you. Um, one of the things that we're trying to do on Beyond Baseball is just share the stories and the journeys of um, former players, current players, making their way through um, professional baseball. So tell us a little bit about your story, kind of um, how you went through professional baseball and made that transition to uh, a life after the game. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I mean, we're going to have a lot, of, a lot of stuff to talk about, which would be good. Um, but yeah, originally from the Seattle area, grew up in Kirkland, Washington. Uh, back in 2007, was drafted by the Royals, uh, seventh round. Scott Ramsey signed me. Um, I spent four years with them in the minor league system. Uh, 2007 was in Surprise. 2008, I was in the Abbey League in Burlington. 2009, up in uh, Idaho Falls. 
Uh, got called up that year to Burlington, the Midwest League, uh, 2010. Um, started the Midwest League, right, and I went through that season. Uh, went through spring training in 11 with the Royals, ended up getting released. Uh, funny story at the end of it, making that transition into the Braves. Um, I got released that last week of spring training. Uh, I was with my dad, uh, Ronald Richardson. And him and I went out to dinner that night just to kind of refocus, right? My parents were there that last week, and um, I'm sitting there at dinner, and then my phone rings, and uh, I look at it, and it's, a, it's just a Georgia phone number. And I, I kind of put it down. My dad's like, no, I answer it. Like, this would be – you never know. You never know who's calling. My dad's got a sports background, too. He's like, you never know who's calling, especially now. Pick up the phone, not necessarily in a great attitude. I'm like, hello? And he goes, hi, this is uh, Ronald Richardson with the with – the, Atlanta Braves. How are you doing? Is this Hilton Richardson? I said, okay. And I'm like looking, I'm looking across the table at my dad, but I just heard somebody say they're Ronald Richardson. And I was like, what? He's like, this is, this is Ronald Richardson with the Braves. This is, you know, so-and-so. And I was like, I totally apologize. I'm looking at my dad. My dad's name is the same as yours. You totally get it. You know, and then him and I had a brief conversation uh, and he said, hey, you know, we obviously saw you got released through the wire. Uh, we're looking to potentially, you know, bring you to camp. What do you got? I said, my bags are packed. I'm ready to go. He's like, you know, you could go home, you know, and make, you know, just get settled in and allow this to kind of sink in a little bit and kind of get refocused. And I said, I'm, I'm ready to go. You know, I'm ready to go. And I'm flying down the Florida the next day and uh, go through Orlando uh, into extended spring training with them. Do well, get assigned to Rome, to the Rome Braves in the Sally League. Start off going eight for eight. I mean, my first two games, I was four for four, four for four. And I'm like, this is awesome. Like, I'm finally, you know, hitting my stride. You know, again, and then the season transitioned to an up and down year. A couple injuries throughout the way. Um, I remember sliding into second base head first, just like Doug Sisson. I'd always told me not to, but I was always ultra aggressive. And uh, the throw was to the right of the bag. Shortstop comes across. His knee hits me in the head. I'm out for two weeks. I come back. I'm doing good. I'm doing bad. Tear my hamstring making a play in center field. Out two more weeks, come back. I'm doing good, doing bad. And I start making that, that transition again of where I feel like I'm getting locked in. We're in Canapolis. Um, I went through a practice where they said, hey, you know, you're healthy, ready to go. And I'm thinking, okay, perfect. Get on the bus. We head down to Greenville about 2.30 in the morning. And the new manager, because Matt Waldeck had been let go, actually, in the middle of the season. So they had a brand-new manager who had never seen me play. And uh, we get off the bus. It's 2.30 in the morning. And um, he says, hey, put your stuff in the room and then come down and let's talk. I'm like, perfect. Like, I'm going to get back in the leadoff spot. I'm going to get back in the plane and start half the game, whatever have you. And he goes, I hate to tell you this, but we got to release you. And it was um, like, like, what? Like, I'm good to go. Like, where, where are we at with this? You know, and he says, I haven't even seen you play and I couldn't say anything. And I was like, well, we did it. You know, and, and by the way, you're flying out at seven o'clock in the morning. So it was like, this is this brutal you know, transition into, into again, you know, what do I do now? Um, this is kind of where the, so I, I, I didn't go to bed. Uh, I stayed up all night in my hotel room. I got, got to the airport really early. Um, I ended up flying back to Rome, into Georgia. Um, and I'm sitting in my apartment, and I remember calling Scott Ramsey, the gentleman who had signed me. Him and I had maintained a relationship, I mean, since my freshman year of high school. So this is, you know, years in the making. I said, hey, I got released again. You know, I just, uh, I'm not exactly sure what I'm going to do. Steve Pierce um, was my agent. And he said, hey, you know, it's just, it's late in the season. We're just going to probably hang out. And I said, I'm totally good with that. I really need to kind of focus and make some adjustments. And Scott goes, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm just packing up my stuff. He's like, okay, cool. Call me back. Bye. Click. Man, nobody wants to talk to me right now. I'm feeling all sorts of emotions. I call him back in an hour. And he says, hey, I got you a workout. I'm like, okay. Like, this is amazing. It's kind of crazy, you know, the timing of it, you know, heading into the, you know, the later part of the season. And I said, where's that? And he's like, it's at Boise State. And I was like, okay, uh, Boise State doesn't have a baseball team, right? And he goes, you don't think I know that? I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. It's at Boise State. And he's like, for football. And I was like, what? He's like, it's for football. And, you know, side note, I've never played football in my life, period. Like, my parents wouldn't even let me go out and play that, like, winter turkey bowl game. Like, nothing. Didn't want me to get How there. old are you at this time? So, I was 20, 23. Okay. I was 23. Turning 20, I was 22, turning 23 in January. That's my January 10th, my birthday. And 
I remember talking to him. I said, well, how did this even come about? And Scott Ramsey, I coached the special teams coach, Jeff Cho, when he was a kid. And Jeff went on to become, you know, an absolute football guru and is working with Coach Peterson at Boise State. And he goes, yeah, we're just going to go and sit down and have a discussion. And I was like, okay. So I flew back to Seattle, drove over to Spokane. Then we drove down to Boise. I'm sitting there in the room with, with Coach Peterson, Coach Cho, all the athletic department. And we're sitting at this big table and I'm like introducing myself to everybody. I'm like, this is amazing because I just I've watched you guys catch a livery play. I'm like, this is wild because I, I just don't have any experience here. I said, oh, it's totally fine. We're just going to throw you out there and make sure that it's safe and you know what's going on. I'm like, safe? Like, that's a whole different word when we're talking about going out and playing in sports. And uh, long story short, I ended up making uh, making the team as a wide receiver. Uh, walked on, made the team as a wide receiver in 2011. And um, we would sit down every morning with Coach Prince. And then we would go to breakfast and take the salt and pepper shakers and move them around. This is the formation. This is how this goes. Because, I mean, I literally didn't have any idea. They got me football for dummies. I mean, all sorts of stuff. So, like, <laughs> I don't know how much time we have, but I went from a you know a six three hundred ninety five pound receiver to two hundred. I never lifted before. I never, never. Wow. I didn't have to. Ryan Silberg. I mean, I was just a, a natural athlete, and um, I got up to two twenty five, and they moved me to free safety. I got up to two forty five. They moved me to outside linebacker, and I got up to two sixty five and played defensive end for those three years. Um, I ended up tearing my patella tendon in half, and uh, that was kind of it. You know, that was kind of it for football, and again, it was just this transition. I had surgery, um, and I'm sitting there. I'm almost one might have a semester left in my degree. Mark Paul, who was our head trainer, he says, look, this is going to take you like a year to even get back to walking normal. I said, I totally get it. You know, I can see the writing on the wall. I was, I was a 23-year-old red shirt is kind of how that fits into the, the progression of life. Uh, I said, totally get it. You know, this is, again, just trying to figure out what I need to do. Um, when I was, this is probably, you know, a month into the recovery of it, um, there was a high school. Timberland High School was about a block away from where I lived in Idaho. And uh, I remember walking over to the school, and I walked right onto the baseball field, and Coach Price, who was there at the time, was just mowing the yard. And I kind of flagged him down. I'm in my Boise State gear. I got a brace from my hip down to my ankle. Hi, you know, what do you got? I said, hey, introduced myself, told him a little bit of my story. I said, hey, I'd love to just be here to help out. You know, this is what's what I'm doing in life. Like, I just, I can go back to baseball reviews. Like, and I'd love to help. You know, I'm kind of stuck right now, but I would love to help. And he goes, okay, come back tomorrow and we'll talk. So he's going to his office and he's like, what do you think about being my head JB baseball coach? And I was like, I was like okay. <laughs> I was like, well, I can get down with that. You know, I can try to figure that out. Uh, got away the state championship game, which was awesome. We ended up losing, but um, those kids, man, they they tested me for sure. Uh, they're you know just talking a bunch of trash in, in the spirit. You know, you never played. I'm like, fine. You know, forget this. I'm I've been doing my rehab for long enough where I feel like I can swing the bat a little bit. So they're throwing me batting practice, and I'm just crushing baseballs. I was like, I know I'm using a metal bat, but I was like, I've never hit a ball out to left field like that in my life. I mean, you're stronger now. Yeah, I settled down to about 230, and I'm like, this is, oh my gosh, the most explosive and athletic I've ever felt was at 235 after I put on this whole new kind of transition of weight and strength, functional strength from football. And I said, okay, like I kind of, I kind of want to figure this out. Coach Price gave me a key to the batting cage, and so after I'd be done with school, studying, going to work, um, because again, I had to find jobs, jobs to do. I would actually go and hit in the cage from either 11.30 at night until about 1 o'clock in the morning. And I would go back and just rest. And I would just, he had this big old pitching machine that could throw any kind of pitch. And I would just, I'd put 200 baseballs in there and just go, just turn it on and just see what happens. And uh, that kind of got me the itch to say, hey, I want to try this again. So got back into better shape. Um, and then uh, I actually got made a phone call by my roommate's dad knew a guy who was a scout for the Phillies who happened to be Shane Bowers. He's down in Southern California. And he says, yeah, I mean, if this guy wants to come down and, you know, I, I obviously am not going up to Boise, but if this cat wants to come down and, and work out, sure, you know, I'll make time for him. And so I, I saved up some money, bought my plane ticket, got down there, rental car, everything. So they like, I'm here. Like, let's do this. Had a tremendous workout. Uh, and he's like, I don't really know if we got, but we got something, you know? And so, 
Uh, he's like, I hate to ask you this, but can you stay a couple more days until my boss comes in town? Sure, whatever it takes. You know, at this point, you got to just dive all in and uh, insert Daryl Connor, right? Who was our West Coast cross checker at the time, and he said, "Hey, and it did, did another workout. You know, did, it, did the same same thing, and he didn't really say much about it. But you fast forward for the sake of time, you fast forward a couple more weeks, and then I get a phone call from Joe Jordan, who's our director of development. He says, "Hey, love you, my to spring training." And so I, again, I packed up all my stuff from Boise, went down to Clearwater. Uh, tremendous time, tremendous time with. With the organization, I mean, right from day one, it was, it was pretty incredible. It was the shortest amount of time I ever spent with any organization, but it was really the most special, I think. Um, went through spring training, was doing great. Uh, they had Larry Green in left, you had Carlos Ducci in center, and you had Dylan Cousins in right. They brought me in and said, hey, you're, you're playing better than everybody. And I said, this is, totally get it, understand I'm 25 at the time. I said, yeah, I get it, but I'm just in a good spot. I know what to do. Situational baseball is doing good defensively. I'm kind of bouncing around a little bit from left, center, right, that kind of stuff. I'm like, you know, I'm just doing my part. I know where I need to be and what I need to be doing. I said, but we got to release you. There's no room. And that's like, you gave, there's how many millions of dollars there? And you gave me a plane ticket. Totally get it. Stood up, shook their hands, said, thank you. You know, this has been an amazing opportunity. Go back to Boise. That summer, I ended up graduating with my degree in criminal justice, which was awesome because there was, I mean, that aspect of it too, where guys leaving baseball and leaving that money for school on the table. I mean, again, I would like to think that I was one of the few to do it, but I mean, I was pushed to do it too at a certain aspect. And it was really good, so I'm really grateful for that. But as soon as God's timing, as soon as I'm done graduating, I get this phone call. Um, I'm working in a fencing yard in Boise, and. This guy calls me. It's a Philadelphia phone number, and I'm like, that same conversation. I'm like, who could this be? It's like, hey, this is Shane Bowers. How's it going? I said, fine. You know, I'm just sweating a little bit. I'm moving a bunch of pipes and fencing in this yard in Boise in the summertime. You know, and he's like, okay, well, you ever think about being a scout? And I was like, no. Well, he's like, kind of, kind of caught him off guard. And I said, well, you know, tell me more about it. You know, and so long story short, again, go back to Seattle, interview for the job, get the job. Uh, and then spent four years in the Northwest, uh, 15, 16, 17, and 18, you know, scouting the Northwest, was able to have some success up there, which was fun. Uh, oddly enough, you know, again, that transition out of baseball, I get a phone call because Boise State baseball is coming back. I get a phone call and says, hey, what do you think about being the hitting coach? So got the phone call, said yes, left scouting, moved back to Boise. Uh, again, kind of full circle stuff. Um, end up being the hitting coach there for that 19-20 season where the nine fell apart. Um, I'm out of baseball again. You know, I'm working at Simplot, which was again an industry that I didn't really have any experience with, but had great connections and support to um, get me there. And uh, I get a phone call from Brad Holland, who was the Four Corners guy, and I was back in the Northwest. He said, "Hey, you want to get back in the scouting? Yes or no?" And I was like, "Yes." And he goes, "Click." Well, I don't know. I don't know how that, what that meant, right? And uh, he ended up calling me back later that night. He says, "I had to know right then and there. I was on the phone with our scouting director. I put him on hold to call you one last time because I'm at work. I'm at my office job, and I had three missed phone calls from Shane, from Brad, from Daryl, and this was like the deadline, right? And uh, he's like, "I had to know right then and there, and uh, we'll be in touch." You know, so long story short, again, uh, I do the interview, come down here, move down to Phoenix, and I've been down here scouting the last two years. And that's that's an awesome story, and it's you have it full of different transitions, you know, throughout the steps of your post career. And I think the one thing that's impressive too is that you were never afraid to go out and ask for help or reach out to people um, during those transitions. And I think the one thing that you mentioned too that stuck out to me was that. Um, you always were trying to figure out oh, what do I do next and yep. so when that question came up to you who are some of the people that you could always reach out to or you knew you could go to to kind of help you because a lot of times it just takes talking to someone during those times of transition trying to figure out things and hash things out were there a couple of people that you would just always go to yeah definitely my dad was the first one uh, Scott Ramsey is another one uh, family friends Dirk Anderson is another one um, Ivor Hodgson and then even Danny Duffy right uh, that core group of guys, my dad, right? He's not going to steer me wrong. You know, he just, he, but I also think going to him first because he's so dang patient. You know, he's able to look things in the face, break them down, not be reactionary to anything. Like, what happened? Why did it happen? 
what are some options moving forward, right? Scott Ramsey, more of the bold aspect, go for it, go for it. Um, Dirk Anderson, again, a patient approach, but very, very uh, methodical in how he thinks and how to really kind of position yourself. You know, it's the past that leads to the past that leads to the basket, right? That kind of stuff. He's more of that training. Well, you should do this because then at this point in time, then you can look at here, which would might lead you back to this, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, Danny and Ivor have always had my back since day one. We were all in that same 2007 draft class, and that was something where, again, they were just so real and honest to who I was personally at my core. You know, again, that's kind of one of the things with the players that you play with. You spend more time with them than you do with your family. Um, that was another adjustment to make. So when I would hear stuff from them, it's like, in certain aspects of life, you're like, these guys know me better than I know myself right now because I'm not necessarily seeing the whole picture. I'm focused on, man, maybe my feelings are hurt. <clears throat> you know, leaving the Royals at that point in time, it was like, I just spent the last four and a half years with this with these people almost every single day. I mean, 95% of my life has been here with these guys. And now it's gone. And now, now, now what, right? And so... You have to pick and choose, I think, where those transitions are in your life and who you talk to and the advice you get. But I like to say that it comes from a different blend of people and, and even their own experiences, you know, that kind of stuff. I have two uh, questions just to jump in. I mean, yeah. the, the number one word that comes out in listening to your story is resilience, yeah. right? And I, <laughs> yeah. I, think, I think the crazy thing is, and this is my second word, is perspective. I think now where you are, what you've done, and, you know, looking at your backdrop, like your background, we can see yeah. the success, right? But yeah. it also gives you it gives you this perspective that all this trials and tribulations that you went through, the bumps and bruises, the breaks, whatever we want to call them, got you here, made you a better right. scout, made you a better professional. And at that time, you're not thinking that. Like, that's not, that's oh. not a thing. And you're beating yourself up. So it's interesting, Jared's question of, like, you know, who kept you, who kept you grounded in, in terms of that and having those – that board for you to like either soundboard or motivational yeah. board, whatever it may be. But what like interests did you have? What hobbies did you have? What things did you go to during these negative times or during these down, you know, downward spirals? Because you need to have something. And the funny thing is when I hear the football story, I hear you talk about baseball, going back to that field, seeing that even if you have your Boise State stuff on, you're still going back to baseball. But when you were in baseball, where'd you go to? Interesting. Yeah, because if you would have told me, I mean, even a year before, this is what's going to happen next. I mean, half the time I've been like, no, I don't believe you. Again, even whether it was in baseball stuff and opportunities, having never played football before, and I'm going to go walk onto the number four ranked team in the country, uh, <laughs> you know, even getting back into baseball, you know, post having not played in three years, which doesn't happen, you know, looking at it from this perspective, from, a, from this side of it as a scout, um, you know, you have to find ways to stay focused. You have to have outlets for your mind or your body, uh, your spirit, right? Mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, whatever it is, you have to have those outlets. And like you were saying, it was hard to, you can't ever really see where you're going or where you've been until you look in the rearview mirror. Dan Ramsey told me that. He's also a scout in Northwest, and that's Scott's oldest boy. Dan's dialed in. You know, with the Lord, and that's that was a pursuit of mine, and still is. But He was the one that I would go to and say, "Hey, this is where I'm struggling. Like, how do I focus? How do you help me get back on track?" And you kind of do it without even noticing that you're doing it. It's kind of, I guess, how I would, unfortunately, explain that. But I think trusting people, being able to be vulnerable with what you, what you've gone through, what you've done, and then who you are as a person, and explaining it to you, to Jared, or the UK one that I, this is what I'm struggling with this is what I need help with um, my outlets when I was playing with the Royals I didn't really have anything I didn't really I didn't feel the need to have them and that might have been a, a maturity thing as a high school draft pick I didn't I didn't I couldn't see that I see big leagues I see this is where I'm going this is what I need to do you know that's it and then all of a sudden that that first that first punch in the mouth happens when you get released from spring training. It's like, oh, shoot. You know, not necessarily the, the feeling of, oh, my gosh, I don't know who I am. But there is a feeling that I felt of, what do I do now? Right? And I remember getting up that first, that very next morning. I got up at 6.30 in the morning. go make breakfast. I get dressed. I'm getting ready to head out the door. My dad gets up. He's like, what are you doing? So I'm just getting ready to go to the 
wow, that's it's not a thing anymore. That doesn't happen. But I was so in just this autopilot, right? Like I needed to be able to find something else to do. I was grateful to have the opportunity with the Braves, right? Football happened. Uh, started journaling. Started journaling when I got the football. And, it's uh, huge. That, yeah. That was a, that, and something I was like, man, am I really going to start? Like, yes, yes. And it just alleviated things. It just took up time, right? It just took right because they're in your the thoughts are in your head. They're so there. You tell, they're, you tell the people thing. or you write them down. Yeah, <laughs> and it's almost like they're you, you got to uncork it somehow because otherwise they're still going around. Yeah. <laughs> yep. you, you have to find a way to outlet, right? The definition of an outlet. I need to get it out and get it on paper, and then I can just deal with it or process it in, in a specific way. Um, you transition into after football, after baseball, the second time. I'm up in the you know back into Boise with coaching. Uh, really went through the hardest part of my life, where uh, not necessarily centered around COVID stuff, but ended up losing 13 people in a year. Wow! And I, I mean, teammates uh, from from all different parts, from high school, from Boise State football to Phillies, um, family, friends, cousins, coaches, mentors. It was, and I'm dating my wife at the time. And uh, I remember, I mean, it was almost like every other week I was losing somebody. And so I just couldn't, I knew that I couldn't do it without having an outlet. I knew I couldn't do it without talking to her about it. I knew I couldn't do it without having some sort of way to channel that energy into, I don't have baseball, I don't have football, I'm stuck. Yeah. It's not the right word. Uh, I'm in an office setting, right? Um, how do I get any of this physical stuff out, right? And so by happenstance, I mean, she's definitely the biggest interior decorator I've ever been around, and she found this wooden table. Yeah, she like, but it was in this raw slab type of thing. It was just this raw piece of wood that she found, and she's like, "Oh, we're gonna just get this." And we can. I've seen people transition. I'm like, "Okay, well, how do I? What do I do? You know, how do I do this?" And so I end up talking to a guy, and uh, he says, "Yeah, you can just do this, this, and this. You can use epoxy on it. You can do this." I'm like, "What's that?" You know, and then you transition and you move forward in the life of this process. And I would spend hours and hours and hours just working on crafts with woodworking. And chisels and building doors. This is one of the doors that I've made these barn doors and then these tables. Um, I've got a 12 foot dinner table that I've made from just a raw slab that is now with me, probably with me for the rest of my life. You know, I mean, you just had to find transitions into just diving into things, into projects. Uh, I think making sure that they're structured, that they're in a professional type of setting, that they're not necessarily reckless, but there is a focus to it, right? You have to be able yeah. to play this what you're doing but i mean i found i found the beauty in taking something raw and rough and rigid and then transitioning it into something where all of a sudden i'd spend six hours sanding a table and like, what are you doing i am falling in love with this you know, but i but i haven't thought about anything else yeah and that i'm not going to address those issues but in that moment in order for me to be the best version of myself i was like i gotta dive into this and, so uh, it's been pretty crazy. Yeah. It's been crazy because then I've got I've, I've been able to send stuff kind of all over the country, which has been which is never what I would have thought it would have ever transitioned into because that's not why I was doing it. But there's this part of you that is you're at this road in many times of your life where it's <laughs> I could go down distracted avenue or I could go down discipline lane. Yes, and yeah, the discipline the discipline lane is usually what you go back to, but the things that you've picked up have never distracted you from baseball. Usually if someone goes to football, you don't see them coming back. I mean, your story is is Vince Papali. Yeah. It's it's Kurt, it's Kurt Warner and it's Jim Morris and the rookie, like sprinkled into this one. Together. Yeah, into this one person. But it's just so crazy because some of those things that come up distract people from, you know, the the main I don't want to say the main goal, because that maybe wasn't your main goal, but the right. main focus originally. Yeah. And football didn't do that, tables didn't do that, your wife or anybody else didn't do that. I mean, you you continue down discipline that that story with your dad i'm going to the the foot and you didn't finish the sentence that's discipline that's discipline that you've ingrained into yourself and it's just translated over so well it was a wild wild time and i'm grateful the way that i was raised right in that regard to just kind of be true to yourself continue to work hard my parents mm -hmm. never forced me into anything but if you start this you will finish it um 
you know, there was certain aspects of my life that I feel like I was able to hold on to. I mean, I had to, I had great opportunities, but I also worked pretty hard to get there. Um, man, I, I guess just that core group of people that were always there that you check in with, um, that you stay focused with, that will be more importantly, I think, inadvertently, completely honest with you, you know, and what you're doing and where you're at. Most people wouldn't, they're not giving me any BS about what I'm doing or where I'm at. Even when I would start to, to, to very, you know, well, let's just stay out later. No, no, like you got to, you know, even my two best high school friends, no, no, like we're not, we're hanging out here and then we're going because, you know, whatever. Um, <clears throat> you've got to have that core group of people that all of a sudden keep you, keep you focused. And uh, I think, I think I always recognized that I was in a unique position. You know, my dad refereed college basketball for 30 years. I remember hearing him tell stories about guys and just kind of being on the scene at a younger age and realizing that this is perspective, right? Um, as I'm sitting there and you know, watching him run up and down the court or even going to a game myself, basketball, baseball, doesn't matter. Um, just recognizing that you're on a platform, right? And it's a very special platform, wherever it is, and you got to make the most of it. Because if you don't, then it's gone. And I remember seeing that, I think, through the basketball aspect as a little kid, that you got a, you got a chance to really do something special here in a very short window. And I think, you know, by the grace of God, I had the, the beautiful people around me. I had the right mentality, but also had the drive to execute that stuff too. That it's like timeout. Like, I've never played football in my life. But... I'm going to go play with the winningest class in college football history. So I better make sure that I'm kind of dialed in on what I'm doing, you know, or even getting a chance to, uh, again, go work out with the Phillies for an opportunity. It's like, dude, you got one, <laughs> I reference it a lot, that Eminem, you got one shot, man. Yeah. I listened to that song in the freshman uh, high school basketball tryouts. I think that's the only reason why I made the team. So, so I have a question because we, we want to talk – I get, I guess, more about the beyond baseball piece. Sure. And one sure. of the things I'm think I'm thinking about and hearing your story is this question that I love, and I think I'll, Jared will probably be exhausted by this question, but I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to ask this every podcast is, sure. I want you to answer why do, why did you like baseball originally? Like, what drew you to baseball? The thing I'm that ask follow up questions. Yeah, right. The the opportunity because I grew up loving basketball. I was with my dad, all this stuff. I knew that I loved baseball. It was the crack of the bat. My very first game that I ever played in, I was playing catch with Alex Thorson, and I'm probably in second or third grade, and we're warming up, and crazy story, not long story, right? He throws the ball, I lose it in the shade of a willow tree, it hits me right in the eye. I mean, just dropped like a bad habit. I'm crying for the first time in front of all these people. I'm upset, <laughs> hurt, I can't see. <laughs> like, there's all this stuff going on. They're like, oh, you're fine. I'm like, ah, this is stupid. Like, just, what am I doing here? Right? This isn't like, it's not basketball. I got my first hit that day. And I remember just hitting the ball and being able to run, 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 and go all the way, got, got a triple, and I'm standing there, I'm like, oh, it wasn't that bad. You know I mean? Just fell in love with the game that first day. It was the crack of the bat. It was the anticipation of the game. It was something that I could relate to where uh, kind of on a selfish level, I knew that I could help the team win because I was athletic while I was fast. Um, I remember being able to steal a base at any point in time, you know, it didn't, it didn't matter. You're not, you are not, you know, maybe a cocky way as a, as a younger kid, you're not better than me and I'm going to show you why. And I think baseball gave me the, that individual aspect of the sport to showcase what I could do. Whereas basketball, right? More team, team, that kind of stuff. It was very limited on when and where I could do and use what I was good at. And uh, I love, being a part of the team, right, and being able to help win, and uh, it was fun. It was just really fun. I remember playing in a tournament up in Squim, where the vampires are at, up in the Northwest growing up, and uh, I remember watching Craig Strum when I was 12 years old, and uh, I was playing center field. He was playing left field. Ball gets hit in the left center gap. <clears throat> He's running, and we're running. I'm like, in my mind, I'm not going to get to it. If I look over at him and he runs and he just lays out, full layout, boom, catches the ball. And I was like, what? I remember <laughs> I was like, you can do that? He was like, yeah, what are you, like, what? And I was like, right, <laughs> two outs. 
And I remember just falling like you can do certain things and showcase what you can do. And I was like, this game is amazing. There's no buck. Uh, there's no, there's no, there's no, and I felt like there was no limit to what I could do. Yeah, and that's awesome. I kind of want to just build on that a little bit on what Caleb talked about and loving baseball and the passion and the fun. The one thing I find interesting, too, is that you mentioned transitioning from high school to professional baseball. So you're going from that having fun all the time, going out and competing and enjoying the game to having to transition to professional baseball, not only having a different outlook on what baseball kind of means and is, but also having to figure out how to be an adult at the same time. And I wanted to just know if you could dive into a little bit of that and how that transition worked and um, what resources you think you could have utilized or need or could have wanted to have during that transition. So crazy question, right? Because I ended up taking my finals the week before the draft because I wanted to be able to focus and just... Again, it was different back then. I think 07 might have been the first year they did it on TV. But other than that, it was just really 50 rounds, watch the computer, see if your man gets picked. Um, you know, and making that, I ended up, like I said, I ended up getting drafted seventh round. Um, graduate a couple days later. We're going through that senior party. We're at our family fun center. I get back home at 3 o'clock in the morning. I spend that next day sleeping and packing my bags. And then the following morning, I'm on a plane down to Phoenix. And I remember staring out the window like, what am I doing? Like, what? it's been such a blur yeah. the, last, you know, the last week. It's been crazy. Um, Will Simon picked me up from the airport, Sky Harbor. Peter Mitchell Hodge Nielsen was in that band also. We went and picked up the Canadian. Uh, and we were just driving to the hotel and getting situated. And I just remember sitting there like, what am I doing? And not open my hotel door. Sean McCauley is my roommate. You know, all these high school kids were all just kind of here from all over the place. So having that, I wasn't, I wasn't prepared. Didn't struggle with it, but wasn't prepared for that immersion into different cultures. With the Latin kids, wasn't prepared for the interaction with uh, with people from other demographics or backgrounds. Um, I would like to think I'm a nice people person, so it didn't it didn't bother me. But I saw people have confrontation. Mm-hmm. Like, well, like this is this cat is from here and this guy's from here, and you're like, you can totally see why they're not oil and water not gonna mix. So making that transition it was like I have to really find ways to be open and, and spend time with the Latin guys and, and learn how to talk and where did where did this kid come from? Um it was such a blur because then all of a sudden the next day you're dealing with Lloyd Simmons in your face telling you that you guys better be straight and narrow because he's He's Z for a reason, man. Zero yeah. tolerance for anything. But he was the perfect guy to help us young kids make that transition. He was the Royals did a phenomenal job in keeping him in that role to say, this is there's no room for you guys to be messing up. Like, this is, you're here for a reason. This is exactly why, um, you know, and your focus, right? Your focus. And he was able to touch on certain things that resonated with me in my heart and who I was as a person. And it's like, okay, cool. Like I got to really do my best to, to stay focused here. So, Having him be in that role was phenomenal. Ivor Hodgson again was a was a college kid who we gravitated to, but he was also had gone through kind of his own story. He had already experienced. He wasn't a high school kid anymore. Right? He's been out on his own, and he's, he's been able to you know help us stay in line. That kind of stuff. Like those people in place um, allowed you to really learn more aspects of life and apply it to baseball. Um, and even the lessons you've learned in baseball, you're like, man, I gotta, I have to apply that to my life because the focus, the dedication, the determination, the competition now from not only the people in the draft or where you came from, but within this team and how they're playing and where they're from and college kids and Latin kids and American kids and high school kids, like, dude, you gotta, this is a grind and you're right in the middle of it right now. And it, and it kind of knocks on your door a lot faster than you think. And so having that happen, it was a world like, a little bit of a culture shock, right? Uh, I would have really, you know, some of the advice I could talk to the kids in transitioning now from high school. And I've had to do this sometimes as a scout. Like, this is not Hilton as a scout. This is going to be Hilton as a former high school kid. Like, I don't think you're ready. And here is why. Because this is what you're going to experience, right? All of a sudden, you take a kid who might be of a shelter, sh- sheltered culture uh, where everybody's been involved and kind of coddling this kid. It's like, no, no. I'm about to give this kid $500,000 and set him free in the world that he's never never even been outside of the state. 
Like I'm not, I'm not, I'm not comfortable with that. And this isn't even me as a scout. This is me as a person and mm-hmm. somebody who's been in that situation where you've seen it too, man, Jared. Where yeah. these kids come in and you get, you got all this money, and it's like, boom, it just, mm-hmm. <laughs> it just like hits it you fast. Up. Yeah, it, it really does. And so the maturity level, um, I would have liked to have somebody come in and check with me a little bit more. Scott did a tremendous job with my makeup, and I think that's what he trusts in his gut. Is he knew kind of the core values, and we're taking high school in the top ten rounds. Like you better have it figured out, right? Um, which I feel like pat myself on the back and my parents that this was this was good. Uh, but there are certain cases where, looking back, I, I feel like there is not as much as we talk about the transition between and out of baseball. I don't know if there's ever Caleb. You might be able to talk about this too. I don't know if there's ever been. I know they're doing more and more with it now, but like that transition from high school into football, because that's a big deep rabbit hole with the actual dynamics of the draft. But like, is are these high school kids? I don't think I've had a conversation in my six years of scouting where somebody has said they don't want to go play professional baseball. Out of a couple hundred interviews that I've had, you know, over the course of six years, I want to play pro ball. I want to play pro ball. Yeah, but like, are you ready for it? You know, that's another question that, that they have to answer sometimes. And I don't know if there's ever been a preparation for a lot of kids saying, this is what you're going to go through. Have you, have you even, you're taking German right now yeah. in high school because you thought you were going to go travel the world, but you, you have the ability to go play baseball. And that's not even going to happen. Like, you're not even going to be able to communicate with these guys. You know, and that's that's a lot to ask, a lot to mix in there. So maybe the maturity level and just having guys be, um, Know, acclimated to that culture shock of getting thrown in this melting pot of all different demographics. I think it goes back to what you alluded to when you said identity and not questioning who you are, but you had a good sense going in that you are a confident person if you bet on yourself, right? That's what yes. I gather. And yes. I think a lot of that does come from your dad, even though I don't even know your dad. But yeah. <laughs> the question when I, when I asked you what you're interested in, you know, baseball, you eventually got to this thing of, I see it as an individual I like an individualized game where I can bet on myself. That's very interesting because baseball is such a team sport. Yep. And I'm not saying that, that you are a me first player, but I'm sure. saying that you, you see that as the opportunity to prove to yourself and then also prove to other people. I think if you ask that question and you do it in the right way, not because usually what you get is I'm good at it, right? Like that's the sure. answer you get. Why do you like baseball? I'm good at it. If you get that answer or if you get, I like being part of a clubhouse or being with the guys, that's where the assimilation, as you call it, from high school to minor league baseball, just getting drafted, starts yep. to falter because you're not going to be as good. You're not going to have the same guys. There's going to be different guys, right? And yeah, so we – The team might not be good. Like, the, the whole thing might just start unraveling down. Bless Jared's heart and all the other clubhouse guys. <laughs> for some of the teams, some of the teams that they've had to put up with. I mean, I think my, my second year in the Abbey League, Tony T. Arena was my manager. I think we started out the year like one in seventeen. I mean, it was it was rough. I've got a scrapbook from our Burlington, Iowa team, two thousand and ten, and some of the headlines in there are just unbelievable to look at. Just how I mean, obviously we're we're you, you learn the development of the game, and it shows bees falter again, bees blow the lead. I mean, it's just the whole season. So bless their heart for dealing with that. Um, not in a selfish way, but I think that I was also able to experience failure early on that I knew that I had to focus on what I can do. And how you respond. Stay, stay within myself, right? Um, really understand what I can do, how I do it, and then truly leave it up to, to somebody else. Like if I'm batting leadoff, like I got to get on base and I don't care what it is. And then I have to steal second base. And I can. So I will. And then I'm just going to let it play out from there. And yes. I think that I was lucky enough to have, lucky enough to have the failure, lucky enough to understand that I'm good at it, but I'm not great at it. I got to work. I have to work at it. And I think that was something that, you know, you rewind the clock that I had instilled in me from a little kid. You got to work at it because it's not just going to just come naturally. And that comes sometimes like somebody serving you your lunch, yeah. you know, a couple of times where it's like, no, like you, Worth that kid. Blake and Aaron are these two six seven twins from Redmond High School that we played basketball against. And we're just like, gosh dang, like 
this kid is three feet taller than me, but I got to go play basketball against him. Like, how do I, what do I do? Right. Facing some of that adversity, whether it's on the field, off the field, right. Uh, older in life with Hilton, you know, losing people, you have to be able to, you're going to get adversity and whether the degree of difficulty is going to vary across the board, but you better have ways to deal with it. Um, I think where people get in trouble that is where they, they get outside of who they are, what they want to do. Not in the sense of, I say in my own story, maybe not being afraid. I, I wasn't afraid to try anything. I mean, that's been a, a really, I think, a blessing. It's like, yeah, let's, why not? I've never played football. I don't even play Madden, but I'm going to go, let's go try. <laughs> yeah. Let's, yeah. Like, let's go see what happens. You know, I don't know what's going to happen because look at my life. You know, I, you, I mean, it's just kind but of. you're curious. When, yeah. someone, when someone proposed that to you, you didn't dismiss it. You didn't no. close off. You said, let me learn more about this, and then I'll test. Again, go back, individual bet on yourself. And yep. I think that's a big thing. It's like when we talk about identity in baseball, what we really say is, you know, who are you? And the problem is is that people say, I'm a baseball player, and that's not really who you are. And when you remove that, now who are you? I'm a, well, I, I'm a fill in the blank. Yeah. And, and for you, I mean, like, not that we're diagnosing you here, but like if you were going to say, who are you? You're a curious, disciplined athlete. Like, because you're an athlete, even building a wood table or wood, like you have to be some kind of athletic. I can't do that. So, well, it's, it's, <laughs> it's funny, but because of, uh, I mean, again, my wife, Aurora's like, who's going to help you move that? I'm like, me. <laughs> I can do it. And then she's like, why are you walking funny? I was like, because my back hurts. <laughs> yeah. Because I just moved this 400-pound log, you know, but how am I going to do it? What do I got to do? And, and you know, I, I'm working on it because it's my project. And I'm going to turn this into something beautiful. But then we all get to sit at the table and have an amazing meal. You know, that kind of stuff to where you have to say, I'm curious to figure this out, like you said. Uh, but I have to have some procedures in place to where it's like, okay, this is how I'm going to do this. I have to have a plan of attack. That know? seems like how you learn. Yeah. Because yeah. the way you learn football and all that kind of stuff, I, I'm curious if what your infatuation is with wood, just in general. Yes. The bat, the bat, <laughs> the bat, the door, the table, everything. I mean, all sorts of stuff that it just it it gave me an opportunity to. I think it was because the piece, like the first piece that I got, looked like a piece of driftwood that was trash that I've walked by. Um, that I've walked by. I mean thousand times on the beach being in seattle and on the water and i looked at it and i turned it into something i started seeing things in the grain i started seeing patterns i started feeling the softness of the wood i started seeing more and more things come out of this that i had never seen before and if i could do that with this what could i do with that you know if i could this was given to me but what if i start investing in certain things and that was another thing too right financially like diving into it like committing to this not yeah. just gonna half-ass it like no no you're gonna commit to this so instead of using my my harbor freight sander right which was phenomenal <laughs> did amazing job no i'm gonna go spend you know 200 on a dewalt one and then i can do it oh my gosh like look at the difference that it made yeah even with the same piece of wood look how look how much i was able to elevate certain things um and i haven't i i haven't found that outlet or found that uh, reason to kind of discover more things in any other projects. Um, writing is what it is. I'm pushing myself now to read more. <laughs> I can really read more and learn, constantly learn. Um, you know, I'm sure painting kind of gives an access to a different part of your brain that allows you to do more things. And I'm like, I'm stuck at stick figures right now. I haven't dove into it yet. Yeah. Um, you know, there's just certain aspects of life that where I say, hey, this is woodworking just happened to be there for me at that time. Yeah. And I feel like that was some building. I started building things. I built a 15 by 20 foot shop in the mm -hmm. backyard. And she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just, <laughs> just building it. You know, I'm just, I'm just putting my time and effort and just, again, finding an outlet that was, I think, functional for where I was at. It allowed me to stay busy, physically work. Um, I think it was a great, so far it's been a great choice.
Yeah, it's it's awesome to see all your passions and your experiences kind of develop to you to you to become who you are. And I guess the yeah. one last question I kind of want to end on, yeah. um, and this is a question I kind of want to ask every guest that we have on, is what advice would you have for current athletes thinking about ways to find themselves outside of the game? Yeah, Don't. like one piece of main advice that you would want to give them. Go for it. I mean, there's there's certain aspects of life. I would ask them to kind of put pause and step out for a minute. I mean, and really look at the landscape of their life, you know, and where it's been. Because we all have this dream. We all have this dream of this is where we're going to go. And we're going to be on the big leagues. You know, again, um, hardly ever does that stuff truly happen. Yeah. Right? But you need to step out of who you are. And I think again, to Kevin, I mentioned you know, who are you? You know, what are your interests? And I'm not talking about baseball. I'm talking about stuff that um, that you like to do in your spare time. You know, you have to you have to find something. And, and tell me, I don't know is not an answer. I'm not unacceptable. Like, tell me who you tell me who you are and what you like to do. And if it's reading, the second part of that question, right? Who are you and, and what do you like to do? I like to play video games. Okay, great. We're going to elevate that. Have you ever thought about designing a video game? No. Okay. Well, cool. Let's let's <laughs> let's dive into that. Let's work on maybe the computer programming or coding and figuring out what you need to do to get a graphics engineering degree, right? And then you can start creating your own characters and now you're building your video game. You know, like let's let's take that sim- simple idea. Um, I like woodworking. You're like, okay, cool. I can make a I made a cut, uh, a cutting board. Okay. Have you ever made a 15-foot dining room table? Like, what? That's not even in the same ballpark, right? But I want to take who you are as a person outside of baseball, and I want to elevate it. And I think that's been the beauty of having the opportunity to be a scout and help create these opportunities for a lot of kids that it's like, look, you want to be a baseball player? Like, I'm just a very, very tiny piece of your story and what you are and creating an opportunity for you to go chase the dream. And ultimately, why I would spend 50,000 miles driving in my car and why I would spend hours and hours and hours, days on the road now in my life, right away from my wife and my daughter, is for that Connor Brogdon moment. Yeah. That I get a chance to see him pitch in the big leagues. Even if it was one pitch, like, that was it. That yeah. was that guy's moment and blessed that he's been able to, you know, building a career um, that he's had that opportunity to live his dream. And I happen to be a part, I remember shaking his hand, nice to meet you, you know. And here we go. Um, you know, I think finding ways for people to access who they are as a person and to elevate it and to help people uh, is something that will always give you that opportunity. And, and a lot of it, I'm grateful now that, I can, now that I'm in this position, is that Scott Ramsey believed in me. And that's something that I always make sure I have a conversation with the kids that kind of leading up to the draft we just had, hey, I believe in you, and this is exactly why. Like, I'm going to let it know. I'm going to manifest this as much as I can for you and your career. Whether the Phillies are in a position to draft you or not, I ran across a kid in Farmington, New Mexico, a left-handed pitcher that had just graduated high school from Ontario, Canada. That was 90 to 95. I'm like, first off, where did this cat come from? (laughs) Like, here we are. Here I am in, in the middle of the desert in New Mexico. Connie Mack World Series, and I said, you know what? I I'm not even Siri said I know. <laughs> um, that I'm not I'm not even your area scout, but I and I believe in you because what I just saw was incredible. And I don't even necessarily you're not even necessarily my guy, but I'm making phone calls left and right now to try to figure out what we need to do to get this done. Yeah. But you know what? Like I believe in you. And to round out the answer to your question. Letting players that are making that transition out of baseball is something they've done every single day of their life. From the time that they're in second grade, like when you fast forward 20 yeah. years, right? I don't care if you played in the big leagues. Yeah. Um, if you played in the big leagues for 15 years, you're still going to make that. I, I'm looking at a picture of him right now because he's my favorite player, Ken Griffey Jr. I bet you nine out of ten times I've seen that dude on TV, you know, over the last five years. He's got a camera in his hands. 
loves photography. I'm sure yeah. loves to be of his kids in sports, being in the game. You know, you gotta like you said, bet on yourself, but then also believe in yourself that you can turn whatever you have your true passion for into something special. Can I just add one thing to that? Because I, I think one of the things that you're alluding to in, in such a good way to articulate it is this idea is abstract to players who have, not even just baseball players, who have devoted their entire life to a single sport, right? Every I, second, like in yeah. your mind, uh, I'm, there's an interview, I'm interrupting you, but there was an interview with Mike Tyson boxing as a 17, 16, 17, 18 year old kid who said he would wake up in the middle of the night in a dead sweat because he was afraid somebody was getting better than him. Yeah. Like, Whoa, yeah. like that's, we might put that on the, on the far end, but still nonetheless, like that's the amount of dedication and focus that it takes to become a 19 year old heavyweight champion in the world, right? So your focus, like you're talking about, your every ounce of your being, humanly speaking, leads up to this moment where you might be talking to a scout or playing in front of a scout or having an opportunity to get caught in mean, all this stuff leads up to every ounce of who you of who you are. And then all of a sudden at the drop of a hat, when I walked in that clubhouse and my lot and my jersey's gone, it's like, what? Like yeah. the definition of just whoa. Yeah. Whoa. But when you present other interests as you have to start here, but have you ever done this? Have you ever thought about this? It's the same thing as when you play baseball, you hit a ball. Then yep. you face 50 mile per hour, 75, and then now you're going to face 90. But that yep. progression is so key in terms of your maturation and development that yep. it has to be with your other interests and skills in your life outside of baseball. There are certain parts of it that in life that you're talking about that I, I can't. I mean, there's a there's a guy with our organization now that is up in the big leagues that I know never really struggled never struggled at all and then gets up to the big leagues had success and all of a sudden people like that adjustment and then everybody's like well this kid can't play anymore it's like no no like there's other aspects of who this kid is and who this person is that we need to get kind of caught up to speed here right you need to you have success you have tools you have all the ability in the world you've proven it like where are you at mentally where are you at with the emotional side of it how are you dealing it with balancing this juggling act right we need to get everybody Everybody on board, right up here, in here, in your heart. You get everybody on board. We got to go. You know, because yeah. the window of opportunity is a lot different than actually what you're talking about—the maturation of somebody as a person. Yes. Player. I mean, you hardly ever. Uh, Cece, she's our uh, mental skills coach. She said something. Hardly ever does the idea of the person match up with the work it actually takes to become that person. Wow, like that challenged me when I heard that. It's like, oh yeah, I want to do this. I want to do this. I want to be this. I want to. I can envision doing this. Yeah, but like, have you ever done the work to even do that for a day? Yeah. Have you ever dove into it on such a deep level that it's 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 an obsession to you? Have you ever taken it and elevated your thoughts to even understand what it takes? And that's why those guys are so dang good at what they do. You know, and when mm -hmm. you do it is, I think it's a balance across the board. It's an understanding. It's a laser focus. Right? It's a it's a an elevated state of mind and you back to Jared, you can apply that to stuff outside of baseball. You can't, yeah. you know, I've been, I've been able to, to do it in certain aspects of my life and just taking opportunities with the perspective of saying, I'm going to make the most of it, but I, I can take that and apply it to certain things and it can become kind of quite beautiful of what it can turn into. And uh, I think what I've been able to see Thing and not that it's you know some world changer, but at the same time, it's it's pretty special. You know, when you can apply who you are, let's just say in the baseball category, and you can apply that to other aspects of life. I can apply that to um, what I'm doing. I can apply that to reading, writing, being a doctor. I don't care if it's being a garbage mm -hmm. business yeah. owner, a, a, an artist, a woodworker, a scout. A father. I mean, you can apply it to life, and getting guys to understand that there is life after baseball. Right? Um, you do not lose who you are. You just change what you do. And I think that is a big part of, of how I've been able to be successful. And is just take the same core values and beliefs. Uh, Mr. Ellsworth, who was actually my sixth grade teacher, who I still talk to to this day, um, he would always tell me, "You're just putting on a new hat." 
you know, whether you're traveling here or doing yep. this, doing that, you just put on a new hat. Right? It might be with Lehigh, it might be with you know the Braves, uh, it might be with you know whoever. Simplot might not even be with the hat, you know. But yeah. that doesn't change who you are. It's what you do, and um, that also I think gives guys the freedom and flexibility to still say, "This is exactly what I do," but now I get to do it here. Yeah, and you're going to get in and experience a whole new list of worldly feelings and emotions and highs and lows, and things that you've never even figured out. Yeah, and I think it's a really cool thing. I think that's a that's an awesome point to just wrap up on. It's just talking about um, that you just you don't change as a per you just change what you do. Um, and Helen, we can't thank you enough for the yeah. time that you spent with us and just thank being you. able to sit down and talk about these real issues that are, will impact so many people. Your story is amazing, and just uh, we can't thank you enough. No, I love it. This has been fun, and uh, and just being an avenue, I think, of information. Right, it's not going to do me any good. I got to get it out there. So. I really appreciate it. I appreciate both your time. Uh, this was phenomenal. It's With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.